So welcome everyone to Storytelling Podcast Week and our third session of the day, The Hidden People, Hidden in Plain Sight, with the cast and creators of the show, Christopher Burnside, Megan Burnside, Catherine Seaton, Jordan Lopez, Emily Kallenberg, and Stephen Kallenberg. For those of you who may be joining us for the first time, Storytelling Podcast Week is a week of live stream sessions like this one, with narrative nonfiction podcasters, audio drama, and fiction podcasters from around the world and our imaginations. If you have a chance, check out the recorded episode showcase featuring some exclusive and favorite episodes on the Storytelling Podcast Week channel for many of the podcasters participating. You can also replay any of the live streams from the week on the Storytelling Podcast Week channel. So make sure to download the Podbean app and follow the Storytelling Podcast Week channel to receive notifications in real time about all of the live streams and specially released episodes of the week. Storytelling Podcast Week is brought to you by Podbean. We're a podcast hosting and monetizing platform and home to over 500,000 podcasts. And as you're joining us for this session, you can see we also offer the ability to live stream directly from the app to your audience with Podbean Live, where podcasts come to life. For everyone listening, you can also start your own live stream for free on Podbean. And to get your first 30 days of hosting for free, use the code STORY. And now we'll hand it off to the team for this special live episode. Hello and welcome. Hi, thank you. Thank you so much. This is Megan Burnside. I am one of the executive producers for The Hidden People. Uh, today's session, we're going to be really focusing in on all things The Hidden People, specifically around um, our collaborative storytelling. It, we are a fiction podcast, an audio drama or audio narrative, whatever you want to call it. But we tell our story through a fully scripted show with a cast of 40 plus performers over our first two seasons. Uh, that was about 44 episodes across two seasons. Uh, we actually just wrapped up our second season. We're in the uh, post-production phases of season three right now. Uh, there's a lot going on, a lot of great people behind the scenes. And so we wanted to, to bring them to the conversation and uh, share with you some interesting tidbits about the hidden people if you have any questions along the way or comments feel free to type in down below and we'll try to address those and i'm sure we'll leave some time at the end for some questions i think we've filled up our entire panel with all the call-ins so i don't know if you'll be able to call in but you'll at least be able to type so uh just really quickly so dayton writers movement uh is is the company behind the hidden people we had started with a really small show called dwm presents unwritten and when that was coming to an end we were like where are we going to go next and so the hidden people is an idea that chris burnside uh had in his back pocket and so chris i was wondering if you could share a little bit about what is the hidden people about and where did this idea come from so The Hidden People is an, uh, a modern fantasy that is a blending of some classic folklore from uh, English mythology, Irish, Irish mythology, and Norse mythology with a bunch of more modern elements and uh, some of the things that, that we've added to it. Uh, but ultimately what it is is it's a story about identity and it's about exploring who, who you are and what happens when you kind of don't feel like you know who you are and then you get an explanation of this is why you've always felt off or different or like you never fit in. And in this story, 
uh, there are very specific reasons for that to happen and in a kind of fantastic way. So it blends all of these elements together and tries to tell really a, a, an exciting story and uh, an exciting fantasy story uh, with those elements. Uh, so, so Chris, you talked about how we blend mythology and folklore and original material. Uh, why did we go about doing that and how do we do that? So the story really focuses in at its heart, the, the key element, uh, at least at the beginning, is focused on the uh, Irish and English myth of the changeling. So the changeling story goes back a long time, and it's basically the story of uh, a baby that is kidnapped by fairies and replaced with a fake child that might look like the original child, but is slightly off. And the, the, no one really knows what happens to the actual human that is taken, but the parents are then stuck with this child that they kind of wonder, is that really my kid anymore? And that was, that was something that we were really interested in. But the thing that really compelled me about this story was not how it's normally told. How it's normally told is an exploration of parenting. So when parents are like, something's wrong with my kid, I'm worried that there's something wrong, that this isn't my kid, or something is different, something has changed. And those, that's how those stories are always told. There are movies called Changeling and stories like that. But I wasn't really interested in that part. I was interested in what happens to the kid who grows up not knowing that they are not a human being, that thinks that they are perfectly normal, but their parents always felt like they never really fit in, always felt like, hey, this, this kid doesn't belong here. This isn't my real kid. Something's wrong. What happens when that kid grows up and then finds out at, you know, at some point, oh, hey, by the way, you're not human. You were a replacement. And that is at the core what the story is about. And that is taking some of those classic mythology elements that you see in lots of stories, but then bringing them into a new framework so that we can talk about identity and other really uh, what we consider to be interesting themes that intersect with those things. So this is a very complex story. As I mentioned up at the front, uh, we have 44 episodes across two seasons. So that's a 22 episode arc, both seasons. And it is a long running show. So it, episode by episode, it is it all connects. And one of the ways that we do that is through the writing process. Uh, Chris, could you share a little bit about the writing process? Sure, yeah. So one of the things, when you put together a story like this, there's a lot of ways that you can go about it. And oftentimes... When you sit down to write, it's just you coming up. You have a story, you write the story, put it on the page. But you're ultimately leaving out a lot of perspectives when you do that because the only perspective you have is your own. And what we wanted to do, what we had done with our first show and what we wanted to continue with The Hidden People was bring in a lot more voices than just one. So while I had come up with the, the basics of the story, the real, real basic stuff, I didn't want to just be the only voice on the show. You want to make sure that you have a diversity of voices because not only can those people bring perspectives that you hadn't thought of, but they can also bring great ideas that you hadn't thought of. And ultimately, everybody's best ideas combined is going to be better than one person's best ideas. 
So we put together a team of writers, performers, storytellers that can work together to build this, to make this story so much bigger than the original idea that we started with. And that's ultimately what we did. We spent months working on this, uh, this story before we actually even write, wrote a single script. Uh, working with the writer's room, kind of modeling it off of how TV shows do writer's rooms, where you have a whole bunch of writers and producers that just sit down, toss ideas around, write things on whiteboards, you know, just uh, really break that story down and come up with the best possible ideas. And we did that for months before we were even ready to say, okay, let's do this. Because we wanted to know, where does season one end before we even wrote the first episode of season one? Because if you don't know where you're going, then you're not going to be able to get there very effectively. So we made sure that every single bit of that story was figured out before we actually sat down and said, hey, let's, let's start writing scripts and putting this down on paper. Uh, what you'll see a lot with people uh, writing some early stuff, you know, that maybe their first stuff, is they kind of let the story lead them. And one of the things that we say is that the first time you tell a story, you're telling it to yourself. You are the audience because you have to learn what the story is. But then the next time you tell it, you have to make sure that it's ready for other people to hear because now you know that story. And we had to make sure we knew our story first. And the way that we did that was by putting this team together and you know, working through all the way from the beginning to the end of the first season before we figured out, let's put some some words down on paper and write scripts. Perfect. So I have a question for you, Stephen Kallenberg. So uh, for everyone on the call today, Stephen Kallenberg, he is the voice of Thomas Thorne. He is also one of our writers. Um, and I want to talk to you really quickly following off of Chris's conversation on the writer's room. Um, so Stephen, writing is usually a solitary activity. Um, at being part of this writing team, what were some of the most surprising things about writing in such a collaborative way? Well, that's uh, an awesome, awesome question. And I'm really glad to be here. Uh, so thank you. Um, you know, Chris nailed it on the head when he said that, um, you know, that the story with a collaborative team is so much better and richer. Um, and that's absolutely true with the writing, having a writing room where people are giving perspectives that you wouldn't have thought of. Like I come from a specific way of thinking and, you know, when I write and I get, um, and I can be, I take, um, I can be very defensive of my own writing because, you know, I, I think that my ideas are, are great. And, and having a writer's room, it surprises me constantly how much better they make my own story and my own writing. Um, because I'll, I'll have a plot line or, a, or a, something that I'm doing in a scene. And for some reason, it's not working, even though I think it's good. It's not working. And someone you know, will throw in in the writer's room uh, conversations, they'll say, well, why don't we have this person meet this person instead, like come into the scene. And, and all of a sudden I've gone back through the scene. It's like, oh yeah, that is so much better. Um, so that I find is one of the best surprises is how much better having other people around me makes my own writing. And, and in turn, they can see how each, each episode and everything that I write, how it's part of the bigger picture 
um, so that I don't get lost in my own writing so I can kind of keep it on the trail of where we're going throughout the season. Because as Chris said, you know, when we know the ending or when we know what's happening, we can see from a distance that we've got something special. And so we know to plant things when we're writing instead of, you know, midway down the line, we realize, Oh, this series is, is really special. Ah, I wish we had put this earlier, you know, knowing what we know now, I wish we had put this back in episode two, you know, from here, we already kind of know the points and we know where to go and people having people surrounding the writers, I think helps us all keep that vision um, to stay on topic. Yes, I, I couldn't agree more, Stephen. I think that um, being collaborative has helped me to write so much and uh, to be a part of the team, to be able to, everyone kind of going in the same direction and constantly aware of everyone's episodes that they're writing and, and where we're heading is so important. Um, so Jordan, uh, Jordan Lopez, who's, who's on the call today, she plays McKenna Thorne, our primary character, our main character um, throughout the show. Her character ha is definitely one that has a very big and broad and complex story arc. And I was wondering if you could give us your perspective on um, being a part of the story team. So I know that you're not a writer on the team, but you're definitely a story creator and an active member in the writer's room. So what advantage of being cast at the beginning as the protagonist early on and then being able to be involved in the story, how has that helped you to build your character and story arc? So yeah, absolutely. I am not a writer. Hi everybody, by the way, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely not a writer. I am strictly actor. Um, Megan and Chris brought me in as to help with storyline, just to mostly for consistency and character development in general. So, uh, Megan, you asked, you know, it what it was it like coming in at the very beginning before we had even cast before we had even cast anybody. I was told about the story and the storyline we were hoping to go with in the podcast and. Um, First of all, it was exciting. It was super fun. It was cool to see something from almost almost the earliest possible beginnings to where we're where we've grown. I mean, and and what we've done. Um, but I, I think the best advantage of getting in so early is that I could recognize th certain themes of the podcast, and one of them being. Um, friendship and, and relationship building. And when Chris first told me about the story, I was like, okay, so if, if, uh, well, we didn't have the name McKenna yet, actually, that was also another advantage. I got to help come up with McKenna's name, but I said, you know, if the protagonist has to truly evolve and have relationships with the other characters that we are planning, I personally have to have relationships with these people. I have to, enjoy their company and get to know their quirks and things like that. And of course there's always um, a difference when you act versus real life, but coming in so early, I was able to give some ideas of people that would be great to audition. And we ended up having a couple of those recommendations um, like Xander Hildenbrandt and Steven Gogol, um, who are also actors in the show were some of my recommendations purely based on 
I know what these characters need to be like, and I know these people in real life, and I know they're awesome. And then, of course, we already had such an amazing group of actors to pull from in Emily and Steven and Luna Madison with people, you know, we had worked on uh, other projects with before. So it was quite an advantage. Um, being in the writing room, even though I'm not a writer, holy crap, uh, it was kind of intimidating um, because I, I can listen to ideas and inspiration only hits me once or twice in a very blue moon, but listening to the creativity from the writers uh, is really uh, exciting and just awe-inspiring, really, to sit in on. And as far as the character development and arc of McKenna, so how do I explain this? It was kind of tough being in the writer's room and then going to rehearsal and to recordings and trying to figure out, okay, I know we talked about in the, in the writing room this way and that's how she would react, but actually in this way, when I'm rehearsing, it sounds better with this. So finding that separation was almost difficult. Um, but it was, let me think, I, I, I'm trying to think of how I've used it. Um, probably not just the, um, the development in the writer's room, but the relationships with the people that I, 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 the friendships I've built with our cast helped the development of McKenna because McKenna grew and has, uh, gotten better at accepting relationships, having relationships in real life. So building that relationship with, um, my fellow actors really, really helped that arc. I don't want to give too many spoilers away, but uh, it it does, certainly does help. Did that? Did I hit every question, Megan? Yes, you totally. <laughs> okay, you totally. good. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah, absolutely. And it's it's funny that you brought up the name because yeah, I mean, even naming the the primary the protagonist, um, that was names are always really hard. Names are so the worst. <laughs> they are they're the worst. Um, and I know we went through so many names for. A lot of our characters, uh, McKenna and Alfie in particular, I think there was a lot of back and forth. But um, but yeah, no, it is a lot of fun uh, to have you on early on. And then we brought in Emily, Emily Kallenberg, who is also on the call. She is the performer who plays Sam. She also joined our story team for season two. And so Emily, uh, continuing from what Jordan said, what do you think the value is of having actors in the writer's room before we actually have written the scripts and did it change your approach from because season one you weren't in the writer's room and season two you were did you have a different perspective or did your approach change from season one to season two hi everybody yeah definitely um i should add that while i wasn't an official producer for season one um my husband is steven and he does a lot of the writing, helps with the writing. And so I I did get a little bit of a preview of a lot of scripts because I would just help proofread his, his stuff. Um, so coming on to season, into season two, I was sort of familiar with how things would work, but it was a very different process. Um, so being an actor and jumping onto the production and the writing side um, definitely meant having a deeper understanding of not only my own character, but of how other characters would react and talk. And um, especially by the time we got to season two, the discussion was very much geared towards, okay, so we know 
these big events that we are going to have happen, how can we um, use those, get to those events and what relationships are we going to build along the way? Um, and knowing the actors that were playing those parts really drove how the story was written because we know at that point how people are going to say the lines. Um, and we know what these characters are thinking because um, not only do the actors build their own backstories, but in general with the way that Dayton writers movement has worked, we're a very collaborative group. So even during rehearsals, we are having deeper discussions about why a character would say something a certain way, um, which I think is really unique to Dayton writers movement productions. Um, we're all working kind of together to build this story and we aren't just being told how our characters would react. Um, so going into the writer's room, I already had an idea kind of of how characters would say things. So it, it became a lot more of like fun idea, coming up with different storylines and ideas versus um, having to worry about like the writing part because both the writers, all well, all of the writers um, knew the characters as well as the actors did. Um, so yeah, I think that that's kind of the biggest like, I think bonus because actors typically they have made up a deep understanding of who their character is and why they react the way they do. So knowing a lot of those backstories and coming up with those things made um, coming up with storylines and, and ideas a l very interesting, a lot of fun. Um, so yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. And, and Emily um, is one of the biggest idea generators. She always has a thousand ideas to bring to the table, which is fantastic because as we're sitting down to break 22 episodes, there's a lot to fill in those 22 episodes and we don't want an episode that will be wasted space. We want everything to be important. And, and Emily, I completely agree with you. And I'm sure Stephen and Chris do as well. And that, once we have, once we finished up season one recording, we knew how the performers were going to say their lines or most likely how they'll say their lines. And so then we started writing to the performers performances of their characters and writing came that much easier to try to get their voices correct. Um, Steve and Chris, I don't know if you have anything else you want to contribute about the, the writer's room. Well, I, I mean, I completely agree with what you just said, Megan. We we get to one of the joys of doing the second and third season writing is that at that point, you know what the performers are capable of and you're able to give them more. Like at first, when you write season one, at least we had half of season one written before we cast anybody but Jordan. Um, she was the only one that was on from the beginning. And so we didn't necessarily know exactly what these performers would be capable of. Like, obviously, we're going to get people that are good and that can perform the character, but are they going to be even better than what we thought they could be? And we were very lucky in that we got that across the board, but then you're able to start giving people more. So you get much more complex storylines for certain characters because you're like, oh, you know what? This person, we brought them on because they're really funny, but they can do drama really well. Let's give them uh, like a dramatic storyline going forward and some other stuff like that. So we were able to tailor the story to what the characters could or what the performers could do with those characters. And that's, that's a lot of fun. Yeah. And if I could piggyback on that just a little bit, it's, it's really amazing just how synergetic the process has become where 
you know, once we're in rehearsals, because nothing that we write uh, when we're doing the writer's room stuff is written in stone. So also when we get into like the rehearsal process, it's, it's kind of synergetic because we're working with the actors to, um, to make sure that we capture the voices um, that we want and, and achieve what we want. And we've been really blessed that uh, we haven't had any, uh, any significant recasting. We've been able to work with the same, with the same batch of people with the same characters and just kind of had, were able to add on. Um, uh, Steven, like, we have tried to recast you. You just keep coming back, man. Oh, <laughs> man. I keep, I keep missing that memo. <laughs> Like, yeah. oh, he's here again. Oh, who sent the email? I'm just here for the muffins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, In case so it's, anybody it's... wanted to know, Megan makes the most amazing muffins. Yes. Every single time. If anyone has ever done any acting in this in this group that was non-union and <laughs> and you just you work in some like dirty theater, it's hot, no air conditioning, any of that stuff. Well, come over to the hidden people because you get paid in muffins, and that is more than enough for all of us. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, so, so Stephen, I don't know if you were able to finish your thought. Oh yeah, no, it was it was just talking about how how blessed we've been to be able to work with the same actors playing the same roles um, from season to season, so that they grow, so that we kind of grow with the character together. So you know, sometimes they will have ideas about the voice of their character because they've spent so much time with their, with their characters uh, in the, the context of the story. They have really valuable input as well. And it's really fun to kind of um, bounce things back and forth with, with actors as well who are getting more and more familiar with the story and their characters. Um, it's, it just becomes a very uh, synergetic. We're, we're better together, um, I think. Absolutely. And and speaking of one key, being better together, one key component that we haven't talked about yet, um, we, of course, we have the writing and we have the performers, but the next crucial piece to our show and to a lot of audio dramas is the, um, the sound design, the music that really um, elevates the story and brings the story um, to a different emotional level. And we are lucky to have Catherine Seaton on our show and on the call today. And uh, Katie, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your perspective on working collaboratively with us. Now, I know that you're not able to join our writer's rooms calls because of um, some time <laughs> differences and whatnot. But we do <laughs> I know Chris works very closely with you and collaboratively um, once the scripts are written. And how, how do you do that? How do you, what's your perspective on working collaboratively like that? I feel like there is, uh, in the way that your writers and performers are talking about the synergy in the team, I feel like that does exist in post-production as well. Um, but there is kind of a nine month time delay with it. I, I was one of the last people to come in on this team. Um, I was looking for a real long-term story that I could use to explore some of my ideas about sound and using sound um, and music together with long-term storytelling to build in much the same way that an actor was going to build a character. Um, and so I, 
season one had already been written and recorded by the time I was in contact with this team and um, part of the show. Uh, so I saw all the scripts in one go for season one. Um, so at that point, I think I was more adding to the voice that already existed. I was describing myself as an artistic parasite and everyone rolls about laughing, but I kind of genuinely <laughs> believe it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm, I'm sucking all the juice out of your ideas for my own inspiration. And you know, I, it is not on me to find the structure or the pace or you know, the emotional center. I just have to identify it and translate it you know, for the audience mm-hmm. with my work. But that said, particularly in audio drama where the picture has been formed in the mind of the listener, sound plays and and music, I would say as well, actually um, go hand in hand with the talking um, in in many different ways. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the writing team recognised that once I had started working on season one and they were already working on season two at this point and they could hear the kind of um, perspective I was bringing to it. So... uh, a couple of things that I'm really obsessed with um, in the way that I do this kind of thing. Um, the first is using it to explore, um, I guess, point of view and first person perspective and how it feels like to be any one person and the contrast between being one person and being the next person. And can we use um, the kind of quite visceral sense, I think, of sound. Sound, sound goes in quite a, quite a deep subconscious level, I think, often to um, help the audience to understand what it's like being that person. Um, so that's one thing that I, I, I bring in quite a lot. Um, and another thing I do is because I am a composer first and also work as, as a sound designer making sounds which I use in the music and also for um, storytelling, um, I like to bring together sound and music and talking and try and think about the different levels of subconscious in the character and where the music tends to sit quite deep in the subconscious. Um, the sound is often a little bit close to the surface, but the two can sort of switch places. They can merge, they can talk to each other. And so I was playing a lot with those kinds of things too, trying to really sort of get people sort of emotionally inside the story. Um, and I felt like the writing team picked up on that. Um, and one of the things mm-hmm. I was doing, for example, um, in one episode late in season one, um, I there was a person who was being physically abused and I did that all from inside the head of the person who was being abused so I actually re- went out and researched what concussion sounded like you know and and depicted that in sound and the writing team took that better and said right okay we're doing that kind of thing great um so in season two I was given all sorts of things to do inside heads I was even inside the head of a dog at one point you know so um <laughs> there is collaboration but it's 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 got a time delay so it's always interesting to see what comes back <laughs> after i've done a new thing um inspired by these people and how i in turn have um, put a spin on it that inspires them in the future um in terms of real-time working yes most of my interactions are with um with chris and we we tend to do it remotely composing and sound design is a very introverted job you know we, we like we lock ourselves in the studio by ourselves with our thoughts um, so um, some directors like to be sort of in real time, but actually one of the nice things about working with data writers movement is they're quite keen on giving people autonomy and um, space to develop the, their own ideas, you know, and so that, you know, a thing can be um, 
more collaborative and, you know, yeah, it, it can be richer, I think, as a result of having lots of people's ideas contributing. Um, so there weren't, you know, there hasn't been a lot of getting on a call and me jamming and Chris going, yes, that's the thing, or, you know, that's the tune I wonder. But there's been much more things like me saying, okay, well, this scene is an action scene, but actually I'm feeling very sorry for the protagonist and I would like to score that in a way that brings out the emotion um, in this subtext, um, which is on the surface at odds with the writing. And and he says, yes, I like that idea. I wouldn't have done it that way, but no, you're doing it. I like it. So um, that is more the process that we use. I, I throw ideas out and um, the directors respond. I think I've thoroughly answered your question. <laughs> I need to hand the floor over to somebody else. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure I could listen to you talk about your process for forever. So <laughs> I, I love it. I think, and what you said was spot on. So what you did with season one, even just the first few episodes, totally influenced us for season two. We're like, oh yeah, Katie can do that. Oh yeah, Katie can do that. Um, I know. I know that in season two in particular, when when the scripts were going around, there were some people that put very vague things around what they knew you could do. <laughs> um, like you said, inside their head or some some weird wishing sound or whatever, and they got. Uh, I think we continue to add more audio cues and and think about audio a little bit differently as far as the storytelling side of it, because we knew how um, thoughtful you were and, and the level of effort that you put into it. Well, yeah, and, and we started addressing Katie directly in the scripts That's for true. season two because we knew <laughs> that she would be reading them. Yeah. So, so I believe in one episode I wrote, whatever, some, whatever entering someone's mind through magic sounds like. That was my really complex and fancy description because I'm like, well, Katie's going to read this and do something amazing with it. So I'm just going to toss that out there. And then I get emails back like, this is what it sounds like when neurons fire. And I'm like, okay, that's amazing. Um, so yeah, we, we did start doing that as well. Uh, and then I, I, I wanted to, to just uh, piggyback real quick on something that Katie said about giving people freedom to work and do their thing and giving them autonomy with what they're doing for the story and hearing their ideas. And I think it, it, anybody that wants to do a project like this that involves so many people, you know, over 40 performers, and uh, what do we have? I think we have seven writers across season one and two, and engineers and, and music and sound and all of this stuff. If you want to do something like that, unless you are actually a phenom who can do everything yourself and is the master of all of those things, which is very unlikely the best thing you can do is find the best people and let them show you how they do their thing rather than trying to find the best person and then tell them how to do their job. Because then it doesn't matter that you have the best person because you're, you're limiting them to what you are able to do. And that's, that's our perspective is find the best people and then let them show you how they do their thing. Yes, a absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, well, let's talk about one of those people that can do a little bit of both. So Stephen, Stephen Kallenberg, going back to you real quick. Um, so you are the only team member that we have that it writes for the show and also performs in one of our major character roles. So how do you balance those two? 
Um, that is a really good question. I st- am still working on that. <laughs> um, I will. I will say it. It is really helpful to um, to come at it at first from the writing uh, from the writing perspective because I always have the acting voice and um, the personality of the character that I'm playing in the back of my mind that I, you know, so when I'm, when I'm writing, I will actually, and, and maybe I'm weird for doing this. Or maybe a lot of people do this, but when I write, I am narrating the lines. I'm like reading them out loud as I write them to, to make sure that they, they sound good and I like them. And, um, and so when I do that, I can kind of already tailor the, the writing of, of uh, Thomas's voice to what I know he can play, what I know that I can do and how he would talk and how, what kind of verbiage and word choice he would use. So it's, it's really helpful to know that I'm going to be playing Thomas as I write uh, because I'm, I'm, I act it as I write it. Um, and then from the, from the acting perspective, once we get to a point of joining rehearsals and we see the scripts uh, fully uh, fully formed and everything, I can then approach it from a, a perspective of, oh yeah, I know, I know what I was going for with these lines. Like I know how I thought uh, Thomas would say them in this context. Um, and so I, I definitely think that they make me better. Like each, each process makes me better in the whole, just because I can keep those things um, in the back of my mind on either end of, of the process. And I, I enjoy it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I have a follow-up question, Stephen. Do you perform all of the characters when you are writing and acting it out? <laughs> uh, 100%. However, I cannot, I cannot guarantee I do the others well. <laughs> I need a recording of this. Yes. Oh my this goodness. is this is where this is where I'm going with this is that now we have to like get this we have to get a recording of Steven playing all of the characters while writing. I oh would I would love to do that. Uh, just as a heads up, you will also hear me critiquing my own writing in that process. <laughs> Cursing oh the goodness. semicolons and whatnot. Right. I love right. Oh, I love it so much. Oh my goodness. Um <laughs> Uh, Jordan, uh, going back to just like, you know, your character arc really quickly. So um, McKenna Thorne changes so much throughout season one. Mm -hmm. Um, So any listener that's on uh, the session right now, um, if you haven't gotten through to like episode 11 or 12, there is definitely a major shift of McKenna as we get further into the season as chris mentioned there's themes uh, throughout the show of identity and then we also have you also play another character in the show jordan mm-hmm. and uh which which is is fetch and um that is also connected to another theme that we have um but how do you go about achieving or how did you go about achieving the growth of McKenna, it, whether it's, you know, vocally or emotionally, how did you, how did you handle that? Um, I think the best way to answer that is start from the very beginning. We had just gotten done with a, another project of DWMs called Unwritten, and I played a super bubbly uh, person. So 
Chris, what did I say one time? I have to get into Chelsea or I have to get into Chelsea mode. Is that what I said? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, it was a very subtle difference, but all of a sudden I'm like, wow, did you just get a lot happier? <laughs> so you have to get so that character to be bubbly i had to get into a chelsea mode i had to be happier and, and and just embody that well mac especially at the very very beginning is not happy is uh conflicted internally has an attitude of nothing's good enough doesn't really care about anything doesn't really like anything so we're to- we're talking almost total opposite of what my previous character had been so to to get into where mac had to be from the very beginning of the show it i had to get to mac mode which means i was crabby I, and i'm sure you can all attest to this i would show up to rehearsals and recordings crabby and just a absolute butthead because that's <laughs> how mac is oh is that um, the excuse is that is yeah that- that's <laughs> <the excuse. laughs> method <laughs> so but then I, throughout um, the first season, I, I worked very subtly to um, how do I explain this to the very beginning. My voice, or at least vocally, I, I, I kept a very monotone, uh, just very monotone sounding voice. I, I that's because she didn't like anything. Nothing was fun. She didn't care. So I just kept it very monotone. And as we go through each and every. Uh, episode, if you listen very subtly, I try to start adding slight tone differences throughout. As as we discover more and more about Mac, she's becoming uh, more into her own self and accepting and starting to realize that the reason she felt a certain way at the beginning, there's, there's actual reasoning behind it. It's not all in her head. There are reasons to be happy. There are reasons you weren't happy. So I, I start to subtly add those tones in as we move forward. Um, so as far as her growth, just her physicality in the pro- in the podcast, is just all about adding that little extra tone, a little more excitement. I will never get to bubbly with Mac. I don't think that's think that'll ever happen. But I don't come to rehearsal and recording crabby and being a butthead anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, so uh, t- talking about some of that emotional backstory, I'm uh, shifting over to Emily now. Emily, uh, one thing that we did at the beginning of The Hidden People, before we had finished writing all of the scripts, is we had cast the main cast and the, the regulars, and we brought them in to do a character building session. Mm-hmm. And Emily, you you did a little bit more. You really kind of dove into your backstory. And we ended up using that backstory um in future episodes, but wondering, you know, how how did you go about building that backstory? And were you surprised when we started to like kind of bring that more explicitly out into some of our future episodes? Yeah. So um, I try to develop a pretty thorough backstory for any character I'm playing because honestly, it just makes it more fun for me. Um, it gives me as an actor um, a purpose for the character a reason for why they would answer things the same way or differently um so i had reviewed a lot of sam's character at that point um and there really wasn't much to go on within those first couple of episodes um sam was just a detective 
And so I needed to make Sam more of a person. So um, I was paired off with, because you paired us off in that first rehearsal where we were developing these backstories. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So I was paired off with Norb, um, and who played who played Ron. And we just kind of started going back and forth and deciding how our characters related to each other. And that kind of built on who we were as people. And then I added in a lot more detail. And I believe Norb also had a very thorough backstory for his character, Ron. And it was funny because we actually would kind of argue a little bit about each other's backstories because we're like, well, that doesn't work with mine. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we did, we did have to like kind of give and take a little bit. But I definitely thought that that was personal and it was not going to be used. Um, and I don't really remember how I ended up sharing as much as I did with Chris and Megan. I really don't remember, but um, <laughs> I do know that at one point I just gushed that all this junk was in my backstory. And Chris, um, he just, he does this thing where he's looking at you and he's kind of nodding up and down really slowly and you can see all of like the gears turning in his head, um, but then all of a sudden they go really quick. Like it's it's a weird thing, but you can see it's like a slow turn, and then he's off. And that's kind of what happened with um, yeah Sam's backstory. So I was very surprised when we brought in um, some of Sam's relatives and whatnot, and it was really fun when we did do those episodes because I had very specific character like envisions of what these characters looked like and who they were and. Um, it was fun to watch the other actors bring those characters to life and mm-hmm. kind of change that perspective too, because some of them were very different than how I, how I pictured. Yeah. Ultimately I just, I hear a good idea and I'm like, well, that's a good idea. I don't have to come up with. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, Okay, uh, I know we're getting close to the top, uh, so we're about 15 minutes in. I wanted to not miss out on going back to Katie real quick. So, um, Katie, I know one thing, you mentioned earlier how you put a lot of thought into it and you read the scripts to really get to what the heart of what the scene and the characters are trying to do. And I know one thing that you do um, amazingly is you work your sound design and your music um, into the themes that we're trying to accomplish, the allegory of human trafficking, the themes around identity. I know that you have t- a thousand and one examples, but I was wondering if you could share, you know, how you make those decisions and how they, uh, you know, what goes into your sound design and your music work to really bring that meaning out. Yeah. Um, Indeed, which example to choose? (laughs) I think something that's important to me as a person in general anyway is um, something which is under the surface in this story, which is about social cause and effect um, and how people's circumstances um, not always visibly can make a huge difference to their outcomes you know in life and how they react to the things and 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 this this story through fantasy through having characters who you know have been brought up in a very alien and supernatural environment a very cruel environment is a, is able to sort of 
sort of maybe take that to an extreme, but it, it does help us to think about these things. So for me, you know, my work as a sound designer, I'm going to get passionate about it. I want to be bringing that out. Um, so I already mentioned, you know, an action scene where you're actually, the, the baddie somehow becomes a sympathetic character. Um, one, one scene that does bring to mind is, um, this is a good example of combining sound and music actually. There's an episode in the second season where one of the characters, supernaturally, um, is forced to do something very traumatic she does not want to do. Um, and as it happened, the, the way that script was written, there, there were natural sounds involved. There was a high wind, because at one point we were at the top of a tall building, and there was the sea. Um, and... I wanted to try and bring out that sense of helplessness where an individual may feel one way but is unable to sort of have any control over their fate and indeed their own actions. Um, and I took the wind because you're able to do this. <laughs> we have all this wonderful digital technology which is so beautiful to, to create with. Um, I took the sound of the wind and actually turned it into a musical instrument um, through the the ubiquitous um, sampler that composers use called Contact um, and was able to merge the music into just the sound of the wind and have it come out of the sound of the wind um, and then merge with the musical instruments which were being part of the score as well. It sounded, it sounded really good with a real quiet um, pad and chorus of horns, um, French horns. And it's hard to tell at several moments during that sequence, whether we're hearing music or whether we're hearing just the onslaught of the natural world, the forces that are unstoppable, and that I was able to do the same with the sea in, subsequently as well. Um, so yeah, so that was that was one example of me trying to think very deeply about the allegory in the story um, and how I could sort of maybe not something that the audience might notice as they listen, but affect their feelings and affect, you know, maybe give a feeling of kind of not being quite in control um, th through the way I handled that. And the other one, which I, I think you expected me to talk about because I talked about it the other day, um, is <laughs> a good funny story. I have um, a son who has a little friend who has a very good scream. Um, and I managed to sample his scream <laughs> one day. I got him to do one for me, and I now have it in my big bank of sounds. Uh, and there's a couple of occasions where magically, because it is a fantasy story, um, people are incapacitated, they're, they're frozen. So they're unable to control their own bodies again. We're talking about sort of help and powerlessness and those, you know, th those feelings. Um, and I decided to although it wasn't scripted, I took it upon myself, as I regularly do, uh, to <laughs> create a sound, to depict a feeling, right? Um, and the feeling was obviously that feeling of sort of panic, of being frozen magically, and what that might be like, because you're still, your head can still process what's going on, there's just nothing you can do about it. So I, I used the scream and I elongated it with a very huge reverb and, and, and processed it, so it felt a little bit more kind of, a little bit less like, it didn't sound directly like a scream, it sounded like just a big, high-pitched sound that was just um, taken over the world. You can it with a low rumble as well. And I think my choice for using that sound, apart from that it sounded cool, because it did, uh, it sounded very dramatic, also was about, you know, 
a child is relatively powerless in the world. And so somehow the sound of a child's scream felt right for depicting that sound. But you know, of, often a child is in terrible circumstances and is, is screaming inside, but you know, cannot express that. You know. So um, so it sort of brought that out. And there is a, an analogy with sort of modern slavery and human trafficking in, in the changing stories, which, which is also something which mm. maybe was at the back of my mind as well. Um, yeah, so th- those are two examples from both music and sound design, which which um, possibly answer your question. Uh, they absolutely answer my question. I think that that thought does, the thought that you put behind it adds so much more complexity to the story that we're telling. And um, hopefully every listener who's on the call today or who has listened to uh, The Hidden People, hopefully everyone, you know, when you go back and listen again, you know, turn it, turn that volume up, listen to the sound, listen to the music. It's, it's, it's beautiful and complex and um, it definitely helps to, to bring out some nuance to the story. Um, I think we are probably at the end of our session. I don't see any questions that have come through. If anyone has a question, feel free to type it in. Uh, to the message area, um, we could always respond to you um, via message if we our session ends up uh, closing out. But I just wanted to thank everyone uh, from the Hidden People who joined us today, but also just to thank everyone who has listened to the panel. Yeah, absolutely. thanks, everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank thank you. you. The time has come. Thank you all so much. I'm going to read our brief intro. And Megan, thank you so much for leading the conversation. It's been amazing to hear the inspiration and what goes into the hidden people. Absolutely. So thank you everyone for joining us for this live stream, The Hidden People, Hidden in Plain Sight with the cast and creators of the show, Chris Burnside, Megan Burnside, Catherine Seaton, Jordan Lopez, Emily Kallenberg, and Stephen Kallenberg. If you joined late or want to have another listen to these amazing podcasters, or any of the sessions, you can replay the program on the Storytelling Podcast Week channel. Storytelling Podcast Week is brought to you by Podbean. We're a podcast hosting and monetizing platform and home to over 500,000 podcasts. And as you're joining us for this session, you can see we also offer the ability to live stream directly from the app to your audience with Podbean Live, where podcasts come to life. For everyone listening, you can also start your own live stream for free on Podbean and get your first 30 days of hosting for free using the code STORY. Thank you again to the team from The Hidden People, Chris Burnside, Megan Burnside, Catherine Seaton, Jordan Lopez, Emily Kallenberg, and Stephen Kallenberg. Thank you all for joining us for this session, The Hidden People, Hidden in Plain Sight. Stay tuned tomorrow with Pulling the Thread, Finding the Stories Within Our Daily Lives at 3 p.m., Women at the Helm, female-driven sci-fi at 4 p.m. Eastern, and the Queerest Fact live episode at 5 p.m. Eastern. And be sure to check back every day for more phenomenal programming as we have live panels, live episodes, interviews, and more. We look forward to you joining us. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks everybody. Thank you. Bye. 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 Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.